We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Hello, hello. I am good. The regular season is over uh, and it's officially grind time. Uh, people are probably wondering if we're going to talk about the Clippers series uh, extensively on these uh, on this episode. The answer is no. That will come in a couple of days <laughs> because we have some business yeah. to take care of first. But there will be, rest assured, there will be... Um, multiple main feed episodes this week and we're going to start pump pumping them out uh really fast so yeah i'm good playoffs are here yeah it's the end of the season the weirdest season and that means that we have to go over the over unders that we worked on before the season even began which feels like 10 years ago at this point and that means we're joined by former host of the seven seconds or less former and occasional host <laughs> of the seven seconds or less podcast and unofficial lawyer of the Timeline Podcast, our friend Max McCauley. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I feel like I'm the official lawyer at this point. I don't know. but uh, I didn't want to... I, <laughs> I wanted to say that. I, admittedly, I wanted to say it, but I was going to let you do it instead. Uh, I, give wait you, until, I give you consent from now on. Wait until we need to actually <laughs> use you for something, Max, before you, uh, <laughs> before you claim fair. that title. I, I need some, uh, I need some uh, payment first before I actually get that title, I think. But uh, no, I'm yeah. really excited. I can't, I can't wait to find out how I did on my TJ Warren over-under. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was one thing we did not predict, uh, funny <laughs> enough. But yeah, I mean, at one point or another, we may have had a TJ Warren over under when true. we did a podcast four years ago or so. Yeah, uh, I should have went back and checked that one. At that point, it probably would have been over under 20 points per game per season and not anymore. Um, but yeah, I went back and I looked through all of them. If this is the first time you're hearing this kind of thing, uh, I'll explain it a little bit before the season begins. I mostly make up over-unders for the team. One of them, uh, for the wins, it's always like one of the official over-unders that one of the sports books actually puts out. But the rest of them, I just make up out of whole cloth. And then the three of us, I think this is our fourth or fifth year in a row, 
will just guess what what it's going to be and I'll go over what each of them are and then the whole season progresses at the end of the season we come together we tally them all up together and we figure out who did the best generally if I'm being frank we all do bad gambling <laughs> is hard <laughs> basketball is not very predictable and uh, yeah and you'll see what I like about these episodes is that they do a really great job in showing how expectations change what feels like slowly over the course of the season, but then you get to the end of the season and the expectations have changed so dramatically. And I think this does a great job of illustrating that. So are you guys ready? We can go right into it and figure it out. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right, here we go. And it starts off with the, I mean, they're, they're all going to be a little bit funny, but it starts off with a funny one right off the bat. Cameron Johnson, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, points per game, coming. points per game, 14 points per game was what the over-under was set at. And last season, he scored 12.5 points per game. And I think with these ones, with the guys that are gone, because there's there's one for Mikael Bridges as well, I think we just we just go off of their points per game, you know, based on their new team. I think Cameron Johnson's role, I'm not sure how much it changed going over to the Nets. Uh, but 14 points was the goal. His actual points per game this season, 15.5. Hmm. And all all of us went over. So we all got that one right. So Max, you went over. Sam, you went over. I went over. And the listeners, oh, that's the other part that I forgot to mention. The listeners fill out uh, a survey and I take the highest votes on each side and I mark those and see if the listeners have an opportunity to beat us. They also took over, which listeners tend to do (laughs) on most things. And yeah, 15.5 points per game. Max, since the last time you were on the podcast, we traded Cameron Johnson and Mikael Bridges for Kevin Durant. Feel free to use this as the opportunity to talk about that, <laughs> as well as your impression of those two guys on the Nets. Well, first thing I'll say is maybe we should end the podcast here. We're all geniuses, 100%. Listeners and us. <laughs> Got it all. See, um, there's only a few, I think. <laughs> I was very much in the camp of we just you have to make that deal. I mean, I know we gave up a ton, and the way Mikel's played since is not only a little tough, but also it makes you think, like, man, could we have traded maybe a little less picks since Mikel's this good? But yeah. I mean, I think I think the one thing that's really helped, you know, other than the uh, warm-up injury, which was unfortunate, uh, is that Kevin Durant's just been everything possibly advertised. Uh, he's been unbelievable. Him having that game winner in his third game, I think, helped a lot with the whole uh, with the whole trade and to win everybody over. I, at this point, I haven't really met a Suns fan or talked to a Suns fan who isn't happy about the trade. It's just having Kevin Durant will have that effect on you, I think. I've met a couple who are still skeptical, weirdly. Oh, yeah? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, they do exist. I mean, I, I would reckon that even some of the listeners, they, they still do exist out there. But um, no, I mean, Cam is interesting because, I don't like you said, Mike, I don't think his role has really changed much uh, in Brooklyn. I, I feel like the guy we really have to talk about a little bit more is Mikhail Bridges because just who saw that coming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, but yeah, Cam, will, his, yeah. His, you know, he, his, his points went up by like two or three points per game. But his shots also went up. His minutes went up. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think he's more or less the same player. I am really excited to see him and Mikhail brace uh, a bigger role in their first playoff series against the Sixers, even if, and uh, let me know if you agree with this, Max, they probably don't stand a chance in that first-round series against the Sixers. But it will be fun to watch, and I will be tuning in uh, for as many of those games as possible. 
Yeah, no, I they don't have a chance. I don't know how they're going to guard Embiid, which you can say about a lot of teams. The other thing, it'll be really interesting to see how Mikel, how Mikel plays in this series because it's a different thing being the number one guy in the regular season to being the number one guy in, in the playoffs, especially since he's so new to it. I'll be interested. I, I mean, obviously rooting for him. I hope he's awesome, but it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, I agree. And I think I, that what they would need is for James Harden just to fall apart, which he mm. tends to do in the playoffs at times. That's the only way they could do it. But just for reference, just to talk about Cameron Johnson here, in 21-22, so the last full season he played for the Suns, which was 66 games, so he played most of the season. He came off the bench, averaged 12.5 points per game. On the season, over both his time in Phoenix and Brooklyn, he's averaging 15.5, which is why he hit the over there. In Phoenix, he averaged 13.9 which the over-under was set, once again, at 14. <laughs> and I, I do think he would have probably hit that over he, if he stayed in Phoenix. He was playing well before the trade. In Brooklyn, he averaged 16.6 points per game and went up in his minutes. I think one of the reasons his minutes were relatively low in Phoenix, 25 minutes per game, because he played eight games and then was injured, and then the other eight games he played, or nine games he played in Phoenix, was coming back from that injury where he was played less minutes than he normally would have. Um, but his three-point percentage in Phoenix, 45%, and in Brooklyn, 37%. So it went down pretty dramatically in that Brooklyn offense, and I think you know some of that is just weird number variance and luck and things like that, but I think some of the credit does go to the way Phoenix sets up guys you know, with Chris Paul in particular. And also Devin Booker. Devin Booker and Cameron Johnson have the, had this really crazy connection where those passes from Devin Booker were, were always to Cam when he was wide open and he made a lot of those but uh, what have you thought about Cam Johnson in, in Brooklyn you have any thoughts on that Max uh you know he's gotten kind of overshadowed by Mikel because Mikel's broken out so much as you said he's been pretty consistently the same guy I actually didn't know that dis- discrepancy in the three-point percentage that's interesting I think you're probably right it's mostly just shooting variance but maybe a little bit role change and not having the same kind of guard play to set him up but I, I will say, hearing that that forty five percent from three sons for Cam Johnson, man, would yeah. have been nice if we could have held on to him in that trade, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just one of those guys would have made such a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, just with with defense, and he's gonna be a free agent. I think this is the interesting thing with Cameron Johnson, and you know, it's not a conversation that we necessarily need to have in the off season as Suns fans anymore, but. And, you know, at the beginning of the season, I was anticipating this year defining his free agency. And it still does. Of course, he's still a free agent, restricted free agent in Brooklyn. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening with that. Sam, do you have any thoughts on his impending free agency? Yeah, I think they're going to pay him. Uh, What do they have to lose? Even if it locks them into this kind of path of mediocrity for a little while, I, I, I think they gain nothing by letting him walk. So... If he wants $20 million, and I don't know exactly what the final figure is going to be, but I think they're just going to pay him. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the, the other luxury thing too is, of having Mikel on that contract. Sorry. Yeah, they, even they don't pay him, someone else will. Sometimes with these with these RFAs, like Colin Sexton was one. It's like they're weird players who don't fit very well very many places. But Cam Johnson's not that. Every A lot of teams are going to want him. Yeah, that's an excellent point. He can just sort of fit anywhere. Uh, but yeah, I think they can afford him because, like I said, Mikel's on a contract that's like, for what his production was mm. in Brooklyn, which was like 25 points per game or whatever, we'll get to it. I don't know, have it in front of me. Uh, yeah, he's making like, you know, $22 million a year or whatever it's going to average out to be. And yeah, the luxury of having a star player that's playing like a superstar level on that level of a contract, you can probably afford to even overpay Cameron Johnson a little bit to keep him, even if you end up trading him down the road. 
Uh, so hopefully he stays healthy. That's the big thing with Cam Johnson. You know, he did have knee surgery this year. What a weird season. This was the weirdest season for Phoenix. <laughs> it started out best team in the league. Cameron Johnson gets injured. Still pretty good. Devin Booker gets injured. Worst team in the league. <laughs> Devin Booker comes back. Look pretty good. Trade for Kevin Durant. Now all of a sudden you're a contender. Kevin Durant rolls his ankle in pregame warm-up. They look pretty bad for a while. And now he's back and they're a contender again. Roller coaster of a season for the Suns. All right, next one here. We got a few DeAndre Ayton ones. And the first one is DeAndre Ayton minutes per game. And I set the line at 31 minutes per game. Nice. And he came in at 30.5 minutes per game. Max, you said over. Sam, you said over. I said under. And the listeners said over. So I was the only one to get that one right. So you this was kind of the year with your justification because I don't remember why you said under. I I was trying to point out just the fact that he doesn't usually play more than 30 minutes a game or or last season he was under 30 minutes a game. He usually averages around 30 minutes per game and the question was posed from the perspective of can he handle more or will this be the season where he's able to handle more under the assumption that Chris Paul starts uh, falling off a little bit, which did happen. And uh, yeah, it didn't uh, didn't really manifest that way. He did average a minute more than last season. There was a stretch of the season where he was essentially, quote-unquote, our star player, and it didn't look good. Now the team is... <laughs> it, it just didn't look good. You know, he can't handle that. He scored some points, but the team was terrible. The team came back together... Once he sort of slotted into his role a little bit better, I think he helped the defense much more than he was previously, and he could still be a he could still be a contributing player on a good team. But as far as I, I guess the way to frame this question, because we're going to talk about DeAndre in overall, we have two more on him. This was his first year as a max player, you know. And Max, what did you think about that? I, <laughs> I, I thought it was definitely his first year being paid as a max player. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably the right way to put it. Here's what I'll say. I mean, what I'm hanging my hat on and what I'm hoping for is that we're going to get the Aiton from two years ago in the playoffs, 2021 Aiton. And, you know, even a little bit, I mean, the Mavericks series was tough last year, but the Pelican series he was very good in, largely yeah. because he couldn't miss a shot. But the defensive effort that he was giving in the 2021 playoffs pretty much throughout, I mean, the finals got a bit tough because they just got you know worn down by Giannis. But is that guy going to show up again? Because that guy has been completely absent, at least, you know, for, for, for months. And I think we're absolutely going to need that guy, especially, obviously, we're, you know, assuming we take care of the Clippers, we're on a collision course with Jokic. And one of the big reasons we destroyed the Nuggets was the fact that Aiton kind of neutralized Jokic. Um, is he going to do that again? Because Aiton from the last couple of months does not look like ready, he's ready to do that again. But, you know, it's the playoffs. Maybe he's going to bring it again. I, I don't know. Um, I, I feel optimistic that he's going to bring it. I think if you're talking about that specific matchup against the Nuggets, Jokic is so much better than he was two years ago, arguably. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's like just the numbers. He's so much more efficient. Uh, He'll he'll kill Aiton anyway. He just will. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that Aiton is not still one of the best possible players to throw at Jokic in single coverage when he's locked in in the entire NBA. It's just going to be such a tough matchup no matter what. Um are, Mike, do you want me to comment on minutes here? Or are we talking about like eight in the overall season? Or well, we... let's let's do the next one, and you can comment on both. But I'll sure. just say this one because I have a question to ask you guys too. Um, and I don't want to make this like a really negative DeAndre in one, but I do think it's 
it, this is the time. The season's the regular season's over. It's the time to examine the regular season. Now, DeAndre Ayton has the opportunity. I'm not going to take that away from him. He has the opportunity to just really exceed in the postseason and become someone that he really has not yet been this season. So I just want to say that. But we do have to take this opportunity to examine his season as a whole and talk about it. So I want to do that. But the next one we had was over under for points per game. And I set it at 18.5, which is about 1.3 points more than the previous season. He came in exactly 18 points per game this season. So that was under all of us, including the listeners took the over. So all of us missed on that one, you know, basically, basically the exact same points per game, you know, 17.2 to 18. So it did go up just a little bit less than one point. Uh, per per game. But yeah, go ahead, uh, Sam. You had something to say about DeAndre Ayton there. Well, no, I guess just, I mean, if we're talking about points now, the thing about points with DeAndre Ayton is, okay, he could have averaged 20. He could have averaged 22, 23, and like 12 rebounds, but the team wouldn't have been better for it. So do we really care if he averaged There was a stretch versus... where it would have helped. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, for the, okay, but for the most part, now that he's 23 been points is a lot. Yeah, but 23 points on 55% true shooting and like yeah. little. Pu- and, yeah. and look, I'm not trying to take anything away from Aiton. So much of his offensive game is still going to be important in the playoffs. It's still very jarring uh, when suddenly you have to start a guy like Bismack Biombo, who all credit to Bismack Biombo. I think he was tremendous this season in many ways. But when you suddenly insert a guy into your offense where um, he can't beat mismatches at all. He can't play out of the short roll. He's shooting 35% from the free throw line. Like <laughs> the floor is much, much, much lower than what DeAndre Ayton gives us every night. And we do take for granted Ayton's offensive production in a lot of ways. The mismatch killer aspect of his game is going to come into play in every single playoff series. And I think for the most part, he's ready for it. Uh, but you just don't need him to score 20 points per game. 22 points per game necessarily as we've seen now that the team has Kevin Durant it doesn't make them a better team if Aiton does that right he has a whole different role what are your thoughts on his points per game Max yeah that's very interesting Sam because I I agree with everything you're saying at the same time I think it's kind of embarrassing he couldn't get uh, you know above that over under given the health situation of the Suns this year like he probably should have gotten above that but at the same time, it doesn't really matter, and it's not what we should be focusing on. In the, in the playoffs, I don't even care how much he scores at all. I just, he just needs to play defense and, stay on, and really just stay on the court. Because I am, you touched on it a bit with Biombo, but I am definitely nervous about our backup center situation in the playoffs. I, I like Landale. I think in the, in the playoffs, there's somebody who's going to get targeted. As you pointed out, uh, Dizak Biombo mm-hmm. is not exactly an exceptional offensive <laughs> player, I wouldn't say. He's awesome I, defensively. <laughs> it's hard because both of them have really been rock solid all season yes. long. And, and they're on, I, I think it's important to stress, two guys on minimum contracts. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I, they've given us more than we could have expected all season. Uh, but both of them just have such an obvious weakness as we head into the playoffs. I really don't know who Monty's going to end up playing uh, out of the two of them between Landell and Biombo. I don't know who's going to get the minutes. It probably should be matchup dependent, I think. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's going to be tough. I think. I hope I'm wrong. I am very nervous about Landell in the playoffs. He just seems like the kind of guy who teams are going to. I just attack. think if you want to run the offense the same way, 48 minutes per game, except maybe you know, give or take, like sometimes you could play small ball five. We'll see maybe if Kevin Durant at the five mm-hmm. ever happens in the playoffs. But for the most part, 46, 47 minutes out of the game, you're trying to run the offense the same way. Jock Landell allows you to do that. He allows you yep. to keep your offense consistent. And so, I don't know, but but Biz averages six blocks per 36 or whatever. So that's an asset, too. It's <laughs> yeah. it's hard to make a decision. Yeah, I just imagine a potential series against the Lakers. It's like, good God. Like, Jack Landell has no chance of staying out there. 
He'll just get, he'll just get targeted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, we do have a Jock Lando one, interestingly. But well, actually, let's cover the last one for DeAndre. And then I want to ask you both a question about him to try to frame the, the way I think about his season on the whole. Because the last one we had, and this one's interesting, DeAndre in free throws attempted per game. The line was set at three. Oh. And when I looked, when I looked at basketball reference, basketball reference said he took exactly three per game. So I said, well, that's probably not exact. I took the number, <laughs> divided it by the games played, and it came out to exactly 2.98. Wow. Incredible. So just under... He's never averaged more than three free throw attempts per game. And that includes this season, even if it says three free throw attempts per game. Uh, let's see. Both of you took the over. Me and the listeners took the under. The listeners just, you know, took the under. It was as close, <laughs> it was as close to a push. It's <laughs> close to a push that we've ever had uh, because it's, you know, 0.02 away from being the exact number where nobody would have won. And I got it more exact there. And, you know, I, I think even your I'm not going to I haven't gone back and listened. I just assume that even both of your overs were tentative. <laughs> I think we were we just know grasping. Aiden. We were grasping. Yeah, you at know, something, you're just like three look. isn't that much. You know, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. No, my one, question to both of you is go ahead, Sam. No, just no one can accuse Max and I of having been negative or pessimistic on that episode. We both wanted Aiden to hit the over on points <laughs> and free throws. We both said over on yeah. those. And we minutes. Tried. I mean, you guys said over on everything. We fucking tried. Uh, my question is, and, and we'll just frame it again. Once again, this is his first season getting paid as a max player. And I consider this a disappointing season for him. And this is the way that I, this is the question that I've been asking myself. Because I think he was actually really good last season. Was he better at anything this season than last season? Um, I, mm. I, I can't list a single thing off the top of my head. I haven't looked at like every single shooting split from everywhere over the floor to see if maybe he improved 2% from like one specific spot, but no. Yeah. Watching eye tests, no way. I kept track of uh, a lot of the efficiency stats uh, from specific parts of the floor throughout the season, and it, it was no for the majority of the season. Last season, he was just insanely efficient last season. And, and was really good. And I think some of you know the efficiency stuff can just boil down to the stretch that they had without Devin Booker, without Chris Paul. So I'm not going to fault him for that. But you, you know, what you wanted, what you expected, or what you hoped for as a fan of the Suns is more growth out of him. And I just don't think we saw any this season um, at all. I think the one case you could make is passing, and his assists did go up. A little bit in this last season you could make a case that his passing got slightly better but I don't think it got better in any way that really impacts the Suns overall as a team um, and uh, you know I think like I said and there's probably more pressure on him than anyone outside of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant going into the postseason because his role is so vital for the Suns defense to be acceptable we'll even put it there uh, in the postseason, but I think the pressure for him to perform in this postseason could really actually impact whether or not he's on the team. You know, if he has a mediocre postseason or even a good, not great postseason, there's a chance he doesn't stay because this is Kevin Durant and this is Devin Booker, and the chances of them winning a title are going to be dependent on him performing. And if he performs like he did on the aggregate 
throughout this season in the playoffs, that I would consider a bad playoffs uh, for him. So fingers crossed. <laughs> he's he's played well in the like you said, the Dallas series was not great. The Pelican series was good. The previous postseason when he was going into his restricted free agency, the last two postseasons, I think it's important to remember, was when he was going into free agency. Both of those were good. I mean, he had they had great moments. And so fingers crossed that we get another good performance out of him in the playoffs. Um, I'm not sure the level of faith I have in that. I'm just hoping. <laughs> I'm yeah. hoping very much. Any thoughts on uh, any thoughts on that, Max? Yeah, one last thing on Aiton's development. I, I, I think people kind of look at this as like a cherry on top sort of thing or a thing that would be nice if he had. I actually think it's really important that he hasn't developed a three-point shot. It's something that you feel like he could do just given, you know, his touch and, and such. And we've, we've broken down before, I think, you know, why it seems like his touch doesn't translate to the three-point line. But that would just change him as a player so much if he was even a moderate threat from out there. You look at guys like, you know, Brooke Lopez, you know, Jaron Jackson. They can do that, and it makes their offensive game so much more useful in the modern NBA. And I, I feel like that's something Aiton's got to focus on. It's really kind of unfortunate he hasn't gotten there. Yeah, if the dribbling's not going to come, yeah. which at this point I think you can – I'm not sure it's going to come. <laughs> you know, I don't have a ton of faith that he's going to be doing crossovers anytime soon. Then something else has to come, and that would be—I mean, that could be a game changer. Like on his next contract, for example, if he develops a three-point shot by that next contract, he'll be in the NBA for a really long time still. Um, Sam, you have any last thoughts on DeAndre Ayton uh, before I, we move on? I mean, look, I, I feel good about where we're at. Uh, just with the playoffs right now. So I don't want to devote too much negative attention or mm-hmm. energy towards like, what if Aiden doesn't develop this or that right now? But like, as I lock in on his progression specifically, I guess it's just all about defense for me. And how can he continue to get more aggressive on defense? If that's even possible, how can specifically something we talked about when the Kevin Durant trade happened that we just haven't seen yet because we haven't seen enough minutes logged between the two of them is how can KD's, insertion into the Suns defensive scheme allowed DeAndre Ayton to become more aggressive in some of their pick and roll coverages uh and we just haven't seen that yet I hope we see a lot more of it in the playoffs because I really do believe he's capable uh offensively he is what he is I I just kind of think I don't know a three-point shot would be nice like Max said I continue to sort of consider it a cherry on top I don't think he's ever going to get better at the seeking out uh contact for free throws thing and uh, I think he'll continue to be a mismatch killer on offense with the with the post hook. But beyond that, I'm not really sure what type of development I'm expecting. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I've said it for years. DeAndre Ayton would benefit more from wanting to be a defensive player of the year than wanting to be a 25-point-per-game scorer. Um, but it is what it is. And I do think I will say that the defense has been better with him on the floor in the second half of the season, the last few months in particular. And, you know, there has been some foul trouble issues with trying the new schemes that you're talking about, Sam. And I hope those don't translate to the playoffs as the whistles get a little looser. Um, but I do think that his defense has improved pretty dramatically from where it was at the beginning of the season, which I can only describe as terrible. Uh, so <laughs> I hope that translates to the postseason. It's very, very important. He seems to know the pressure he's under based on how he's talked about it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, Mikel Bridges, points per game 15. I bet you guys can guess. I bet you guys can guess what he hit in this one. He hit the over. Ended the season just over 20 points per game, and that includes just that awful stretch where he was clearly injured. And it was 20.1 points per game. Sam, you and I took over, so we got that one right. Max, you took under. Man. And the listeners, this was the most surprising one, took under in this one. And that is, I think maybe the best example of where our confidence was in Mikel Bridges's offense after the postseason last year where the Suns needed more offense and he could not give it to them we were um, so down fucking bad after game seven oof. I think it's hard to to remember at this point now maybe but like to situate exactly where the Suns fan base was at that particular point in time when we were recording these episodes, uh, people were still sad. People were still tuning us out. They they weren't tuning into the podcast even a lot of people at that point because they were still so sad <laughs> about Game 7. And there was no confidence in, in Aiton and Bridges, um, especially, I think, as like two guys who failed to step up in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, and I don't know. I think the interesting thing about Mikael Bridges is... You saw the offense improving before he left Phoenix to like a level that we had never seen before. He was running, he was calling his own number at the end of games to get game winners. And then it was it like progressed to a point where it was like, holy shit, is he really going to do this every night now? And then you get to Brooklyn and, and in Brooklyn, he doesn't have to pass, right? They're asking him just to be a finisher. So he catches the ball. He's, they want him to score. That's how the offense is designed. He's not really someone there to continue to move the ball like he was in Phoenix. It's just go go score. 
And his offense got to even another level. We saw multiple 40-point games. Just just a level that we never really thought he was going to see. (laughs) But within that, it was all in the way that we anticipated it could happen. You know, because it was always there a little bit. In fact, I'll point this out. Sam, you, you made a video May 2nd of 2021 called The Offensive Potential of Mikael Bridges and put that on our YouTube channel. We regularly now get comments from Brooklyn Nets fans who find that video and you're and they're like, you were right. <laughs> because all of the things, all of the parts of his game that has translated into him having a bigger role, it was all always there. At least it was after the 2021 season uh, ended. And, and it, it just, I think it he put it together better and faster at the end of the season than I thought it would happen. Max, what have you thought about the explosion of Mikael Bridges this season? Yeah, that's interesting. The, the hardest thing to do when you're projecting players is to figure out if they're going to mentally like just kind of get there. You know, you can see all these skills and all these things they can do. And, you know, as you guys saw uh, or Sam put together in the video, and as I'm sure we've talked about on here, Dave and I used to talk about, like Mikael had all the things. He had the handle where he could get into the lane and he was the unblockable jumper and, and the touch. It's just like, does he have like kind of a attitude or sort of like the whatever the chutzpah is to be that kind of player? And in Phoenix, he didn't. And I don't know if that was just because, you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker were there and it's just hard to do that when those guys are there. And it was a little more freeing in Brooklyn. But it's awesome to see, man. I mean, I think, you know, Mikael Bridges, I would guess, has the highest approval rating of any son ever when they left the team at the, at the time they left the team. And, you know, everyone's right. rooting for him. And, it, and it's so fun to see him break out, and I, I hope it's real. It feels real. I mean, like I said earlier, the playoffs may be tough. It's hard to go into the playoffs as you know a star for your first time, but I, it does feel like this is sustainable, and he's going to be this guy, and it's, it's really cool. I really think you might be right about that. I can't think of another son who was as beloved. Uh, when no, they always People say off, Hornacek. Right? Yeah. People Horn- say Hornacek. Yeah, I wasn't. Just, I wasn't he alive. He just wasn't as good. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I wasn't around then either. Like I was alive, but I didn't live in Phoenix. So I, I mean, Nash. Nash was then. still loved by the fan base, but he went to the Lakers. So I. I feel like it's not like we were rooting for that team. <laughs> like, no, I was. Uh, like I'm rooting. I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan now. I will root for them in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, and that 100%. feels different. Yeah, it's really. I mean, he was beloved here, and. You know, it would have been nice to see that. I wonder what would have happened if he played like that throughout the season in Phoenix, if they just would not have made that trade, if they would have tried to, what else they would have tried to do. Um, Because I think in that case, you know, at the very least, Max, you mentioned maybe sending less picks for Kevin Durant. That probably (laughs) would have been the case uh, if he was averaging over 20 points per game in Phoenix. Um, But yeah, it's, it's just a fascinating thing to think. And I think... The other thing it, it really highlights is just how injured he was when he was playing because people were really on him during that stretch because it's when the Suns were bad and it was clear he was injured if you just watched him play like it was very obvious he wasn't moving right defensively or offensively and then once that seemed to heal it just he went to another level um, and it's interesting to see Sam and I we've talked about it we'd like to do a Nets playoff game on playback too I think there's going to be a lot of Suns fans mm-hmm. watching it I think it'd be kind of fun to get them all together and watch that one together <laughs> so we can all sort of root for Mikel uh, together so at some point in that series we'll let everyone maybe, know if we uh, plan on doing that maybe even game one this weekend 
Uh, yeah, first game, is that right? Saturday? I think, it's, I think I, it's the morning game Saturday. Yeah, I think it's the very oh, yeah. first game. If you're up, that's, I'm down. That's kind of perfect. Yeah, let's do I'm going to watch that game for sure. Right. I'm going to watch way too much basketball over the next <laughs> All right. This, Playback. The first round is like the best month of my life. <laughs> Weekend, so weekends of the it. first round are fun because you just you turn on, you wake up and you turn on the TV. Just and it's overdose. Day. It's like Christmas yeah. every day. You know what sucks? Um, yeah. so it looks like we're headed to be the, the, the night game on Sunday again. I hate being the night game on Sunday. The way Dude, the fucking tell me about it. <laughs> you hate being the <laughs> oh, yeah, night wait, game. Yeah, I'm sorry. Way worse for you, Sam. Way worse for but you. no, I, 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 yeah, that's that's the most brutal aspect is like, especially when, yeah, because in the first round, sometimes I'll have those days with like four games in a row and like, yeah, you'll a 10.30 Eastern start time, which is as bad as it gets sometimes, or like 10 o'clock Eastern start time, is just brutal. Even if you get all the way to the finals, they at least push it back to us to um, to 9 p.m., which is like more doable than 10.30. So, yeah, it gets pretty rough out yeah. here. Uh, well, Mikael Bridges, happy for him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the relationship that the Suns fans have to him as seasons go on. And, you know, KD... It still feels weird a little bit that Kevin Durant is on the Suns to me at the very least. <laughs> you know, it's just like every time I see him, I'm like, weird. He's wearing a Suns jersey. I've been watching him for so long. Um, we're going to get used to it, though. And I think we'll get a little more used to Mikael Bridges being a... Uh, in, in another thing, too, Mikael Bridges is not just beloved by Suns fans. I think he may have one of the highest approval ratings by... Uh, of any NBA player considered a star at this point, just yeah. league wide. Yep. And at some point he's going to, he's going to have that heel turn where he becomes a bit of a villain he needs <laughs> and it'll to. be interesting to see what, yeah, he needs uh, it'll to. be good if, for him. If he ever wants to be successful, that's how this league operates. You need to make enemies. Yeah. Not I mean, in like a dramatic well. WWE way, but you, you know what I mean? Not like, like Dylan if, Brooks. Right. If everyone's, yeah. yeah, not like start punching the cameraman, Dylan Brooks. No, not that. But like, if everyone is rooting for you, it's because they don't perceive you as a threat. Uh, and then, right. yeah, that's just exactly. how it works. Spooky. Yep. Um, Jock Landale over under 7.5 points per game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I put this in there trying to be a sneaky smart person. And I, I, um, in the, I'm the only one who got it wrong. Because I said over, everyone else said under. He scored 6.6 points per game. But he coming into the Suns, he averaged 4.9 points per game. I expected there to be a bump because, you know, JaVale averaged 9.2. JaVale was an amazing dunker. Dario Saric, the backup centers for the Suns have a lot of opportunity. The Suns play in an offensive system that takes advantage of their bigs. Um, but, yeah, Jock Landale's fine. I expected him to be a little bit better. I think both of them, You we talked about it earlier, have been pretty rock solid. Unless you guys have anything to say about Jock Landale, I think we could move on from that one. I mean, I, he could be critical in a playoff series. There could be a Jock Landale game in some series along the way where he has like 19 points off the bench and, and seals a win. That could definitely happen. He's, he's had Or like, like five assists, you yeah. know, like five yeah. crucial assists when they're trapping Kevin Durant or something like that. Yeah, you know that's something if, he could do too. I'll, you know, I'll just say if he hit his damn threes that he took all season yeah. long, maybe he would have hit that over on points. Yeah, as well. Yeah, but that's he, I think what I expected him to be better. I did expect him to be, to be better at that. Any Jock Landale thoughts, Max? Yeah, I will say kind of spirit in the spirit of the of the question. You were kind of right in some ways, Mike. I mean, because like, I remember that. I actually remember that from our podcast and. It was kind of a joke a little bit because he was just kind of like a preseason like standout and no one even knew if he was going to be an actual player for us. And like you guys said, he's been solid. So I kind of feel like he may not have won you know, on, on the quantitative part of it, but qualitatively I feel like he won. 
I think that I have been a Jock Landale believer the whole season. And I think he took some really weird, unfair flack. People think he's bad. I'll admit, he has a few plays that look really dumb every game where he thinks he's getting fouled and he doesn't. He just kind of throws it up at the rim. But all the defensive numbers are solid for him across the board uh, throughout the season. He still scores pretty well against switches, which is something that I didn't think he would be as good at as he is. And yeah, if the three-point shot was there, I think he'd be better. Now, the short roll thing I do think is interesting because, look, if they just, we haven't even said this about Biz, but if they just start hacking Biz in the playoffs when he's on the mm-hmm. court because he's playing well defensively, he's gone. He's out. We can't play him. We have to move on. Either KD at center or Jock Landale comes in and plays. And Jock Landale can hit his free throws well enough that they're not going to foul him on purpose. And so if he's in there, he's it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize him because, yeah, I think you're right. He could play a role um, in the playoffs, but... Devin Booker. We got uh, two Devin Booker ones. Uh, Devin Booker, shots in the restricted area per game. I get real specific with these sometimes, as you can see. 3.5 was the over-under. Max, you said over. The listeners said over. And he hit the over at 3.8. And I think he was probably on track to not hit that over until he got real mad at the refs. (laughs) <laughs> with about 20 games left in the season and just kind of went at the rim over and over and over again and increased his foul and free throw rates and and played really, really well. We have another one on Devin Booker points per game next, but any thoughts on this particular one, Max? I'm glad that it went over, I'll say. Um, it's something that we absolutely have to do is create more free throws. Obviously, Kevin Durant should help with that, but Devin Booker is the other guy who needs to do that. Now that we have both those guys, we really should not be at the bottom of the league in free throws anymore. We should be at least, you know, in the average range. So, you know, I'm aside even from being right, I'm just happy that it happened. Any thoughts, Sam? It's definitely critical. We've talked about rim pressure for years and and yeah, those last 20 games, um just to put a number to it, Booker on the season, I think what did he average here? 6.8 free throws on the season. He averaged almost 8, just a tick under 8. Uh, free throw attempts per game in the month of March. He went absolutely ballistic in March, of course. Averaged 32 points per game in general. He was making his threes. Sort of stopped making his threes a little bit at the at the very end there in, yeah. in these April games. But in March, could not miss from any spot on the floor. And that included uh, putting pressure on the rim and getting to the free throw line. So, you know, we need now a sustained stretch of Booker continuing to play at that level in the playoffs. Which doesn't to me, like, it doesn't necessarily mean to me that he needs to be at that March level of, like, oh, here he is, 30 points per game, 68% true shooting or whatever. You don't necessarily need that when Kevin Durant is also on the floor. Um, But he needs to continue to be aggressive and attack the rim and do so for 20-ish straight games uh, without getting injured. And that's difficult for a guy who has had some issues uh, in the past with the hamstring or the groin, as we saw this season. It's just, it's going to be critical that um, he can stay out there and stay healthy. You think we're going to lose four games, Sam? Hater. I just threw a random (laughs) number out there, and then I was like, I was thinking about the math afterwards. I was like, 20 games, that's like a finals run, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, one game per series. Uh, We lose one game per series. But... Uh, I, I mentioned this stat when uh, when I, we had Kellen, or I had Kellen on the podcast, but this is the highest percentage of shots he's ever taken in his career between 3 and 10 feet. 
mm-hmm. uh, but not the highest in like that zero to three at the rim, like that zero to three feet area, which is how basketball reference um, tracks it. So I just I find that to be a little interesting just because I think it shows that he's still getting downhill, but it's kind of pulling up a little early, That's, which I don't uh, necessarily think is bad. Yeah. It does lead to less free throws, but it could potentially lead to less injuries as well. But yeah, what you would you have to say about that, Sam? Well, I was going to make a stupid joke. I was going to say that's Damian Lee's range as well. Um, <laughs> it's a three to three. Damian to, Lee I'm, has a euro step. <laughs> Real, realistically, that's the problem with like the entire bench on this team, the entire team in general. But the reason no one on the bench gets free throws is because they all do that. Campaign stops short and throws up floaters from six, seven feet. Landry Shamit does the same thing. None of them like to go all the way and just power through. The one exception being Josh Akogi, who has like is just the most reckless fucking human being you've ever seen in your life. Um, even with a broken nose <laughs> or whatever other them. ailments, yeah. doesn't care. Uh, but but that's yeah. why Josh Akogi gets to the free throw line and the rest of these guys don't. So yeah, um, book and and also KD does the same thing he'll stop short from three to ten feet but you can still when when you carry the level of gravity like if you're damian lee i don't care don't do this because it obviously doesn't work but when you're kevin durant if you're putting pressure on the rim by driving and then you stop short for a five foot six foot floater that's going to preserve your body and allow you to stay healthy for a playoff run you're still pulling in the defense by doing that so you don't necessarily need to finish all the way at the rim uh, and look for contact and try your hardest to get to the free throw line, at least not every time down the floor. Uh, but if you're campaign or Damian Lee, just attack the goddamn basket, try to get to the free throw line, because it's a little bit right. different. Those guys aren't pulling a, a second help defender like a Booker or Durant. They're not sucking yeah. in the defense. Yeah, the, the rim's not always there. That's a good point. They're, uh, they either have to jump into a guy at the rim or because the help comes off every time they drive. And it's a 49% shot uh, for booker in that area this season so it's essentially uh, it's a good shot you know but he does shoot 71 percent at the rim this season so there is a difference <laughs> between those two but there is a value in having a star player that can hit that there's even more of a value if you have two or three star players that can hit that shot which his sons potentially have on a game-to-game basis if chris paul has it um points per game let's talk about his points per game i set the over under at 27.5 and his points per game came in at 27.8 per game this season i was this is surprising i was the only one to take the over including the listeners on devin booker points per game so all of you are haters obviously um (laughs) but i think uh this was another one where and this happens with booker a lot where his points per game and i actually think it impacts award voting in some way uh, where his points per game are kind of low and then he just juices the numbers in the last month and a half of the season and gets them a little higher because he just catches fire for some reason in the last month and a half of the season. And this season was another example of that where he averaged over 30 points per game in March and has, uh, I think, the third highest points per game in March of any player in the N- in the history of the NBA. Uh, but yeah, 27.8 points per game. What, what are your thoughts on that, Max? Pretty impressive. I- I think I remember going under because we go over every single year and lose every single year. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was part of the conversation, I think, yeah. Uh, but I'm glad that it went the other way this time. Um, that's a good point that you made. He really does seem to play very well after the All-Star break and, and juice his numbers a little bit. Maybe he get, feels scorned by uh, by the NBA sometimes and, and, and comes for vengeance. But, yeah, I don't know. It was a weird Booker season because of the injury, but obviously he's, he's playing awesomely now. And he was, he was very good to start the season, too. 
Uh, it was also a bummer that he, I think he went out for that, with that injury. He had like 55 points the game before, right, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So we could have had a much more fun uh, Booker season, but uh, I'm just happy he's healthy and ready to go for a postseason. Sam, what I do you think, think about um, Dev Booker? <laughs> yeah, I think I went under just because I said over on Cam. All the and other Aiden points, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and Mikhail. So I was like, well, the, some of those points have to come from someone. So that means Booker will take like a slight step back. That's what I was thinking. Uh, I, I guess it's just it's a shame here as we kind of round out the season and head towards the awards conversation. I guess we're not going to talk a ton about awards on this podcast because the Suns really aren't going to be relevant in any of these award races. Uh, but it's just a shame that Book couldn't get to like, like I think if he played 53 games, I think if he got to 60, he would have been basically a lock for like all NBA second team. Yep. Uh, yeah, or like fifth in MVP voting or something I, like that. Quite, yeah. quite even possibly like fifth in N- MVP voting. Yeah, he could have. He could have. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the Suns faced so much adversity this year. Uh, and in spite of that, they were still able to win enough games to maintain home court advantage in the Western Conference. That's that's an achievement. Uh, and just no one is going to be rewarded for that on the entire team. No, like in any race, we're not going to have any representatives. So that kind of sucks. But on the other hand, I understand 53 games. It's less than two thirds of the season. It's not a whole lot. It will be hilarious though if the Suns win the title and just have nothing in the awards. Like just you know nothing to sh- absolutely just nothing. nothing to show for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One All Star in in who didn't even play the All Star game in, Ke- in Kevin Durant who wasn't the on the team. Before, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, super, super weird award season in general. It's not going to be an easy year to pick them. Uh, but yeah, just he's a pretty remarkable season for him, but a weird season overall for the Suns, as I recapped earlier. Um, so it, yeah, it, it, so much of this season for the Suns, because of how up and down it's been, will be defined by the postseason, and as it should be when you're a contender. Uh, but yeah, I just hope people realize just how amazing. 34 and 18, if you take out the, the, Denver Christmas Day game where he came out three minutes into the game. 34 and 18 is what the Suns were when Devin Booker played hmm. this season. And that was with probably different starting lineups, maybe 10 different starting lineups <laughs> in those games because so many different players started. 15 players started for the Suns this season. I don't know if you guys were aware of that. Wow. 15 different players. Uh, so just a very weird year. And, and Devin Booker was the only constant. They were good when he played, they were bad when he didn't and it was just pretty obvious uh, but yeah good season for him the assists went up from last season too which I thought was impressive well the good thing is you know who cares about the stats he got better again this is now the I don't know how many years has he been in the league the eighth year in a row seventh year in a row he's gotten better which is all you know all the credit in the world to him that he gets better every single year it's it's awesome it's absurd yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just it's insane really it really is. <laughs> I just can't believe it keeps happening but yeah it, it, this will be a legacy-defining postseason for him. I hate to, to throw the legacy word around, but uh, this is going to be an interesting no, it's one just, for him. And it's uh, essential. The legacy word yeah. needs to be thrown around. We don't just <laughs> we don't joke around with Kellen about that on our playbacks for no reason. It's a legacy playoff run for a lot of guys. We had a section here in the over unders of will these players be on the team post trade deadline? Oh, I forgot. And about the answer that. was yes or no. And the questions were DeAndre and Cameron Payne, Cameron Johnson, and Mikael Bridges. The only ones that we picked uh, that they won't be on the team were both Max and I said Cameron Payne would be gone. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we – I don't remember why we picked oh, on Cameron man. Payne. I think well, it's because just because – Well, because he lost his role in the Dallas series. He 
he yeah. stopped playing. Right, right. I just thought that if they couldn't pull off a big trade, maybe they would try to. You know, Chris Paul. You know, you thought maybe they'd have a backup guard. You Instead, they made one of the craziest trades, and we were all <laughs> junior uh, truthers. That's what it was. We were all wrong about Cameron Johnson and Mikael Bridges being on the team, including the listeners. And here's the craziest one. The listeners, when they voted for whether or not Mikael Bridges would be on the team post-trade deadline, 98.4% of them said he would be on the team (laughs) post-trade deadline. And Mikael Bridges was was traded. Yeah. (laughs) Well, especially because that was definitely after all the Kevin Durant stuff. So it's even more surprising that that it was that high. Well, I think the idea, and I think they were right to some extent. The idea was if if they wanted Mikael Bridges, and that's what would have gotten it done, it would be done if the Suns yeah. were willing to trade him, yeah. which was true at the time. And then uh, the team was sold, <laughs> and then they got a new owner, and everything kind of changed. After Did we that. have a Sarver related over under? I, I don't remember. We didn't. No. <laughs> okay. No, we didn't. We have three more, and they're all pretty pretty simple here. Um, First one, Jay Crowder, games played for the Suns, won. <laughs> Every, everyone went under. Everyone got it right because he did not play a game for the Suns. And how weird was it that it took the whole season until the trade deadline for him to be traded? A very weird time for the Suns. Now he's on, now he's on Milwaukee. <laughs> Any thoughts on Jay Crowder, Max? It was really, really, really annoying that he was in the team that long until we traded him in the Kevin Durant trade. Then I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It kind of washed away a lot of thoughts that people had on the season in general. Helped the, DeAndre and out a little bit too, I think. The feelings will come back a little bit if we do end up in the rematch series with Milwaukee mm-hmm. in the finals, obviously. Uh, but, man, it is just kind of funny. Like He plays like 15 minutes per game on that team. He, th- he threw it all away. I mean, I don't know about throw it all away because I guess he got what he wanted, right? Like, he didn't have to play. He, he sat at home. He still got paid. And he got traded to another contender. But, like, why complain in the first place just to go to another team and play 15 minutes per game? I never really understood what, what, what <laughs> yeah. happened. Yeah, if, if the goal was to get a better contract, I'm not sure that was served by going to Milwaukee and sitting out most of the season. No. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, and, you know, and he spent the whole time vague booking on Twitter, like sending out those weird vague <laughs> tweets. And and I, I do think that, yeah, I don't think he'll make more money. I want to give him some credit for being professional when he was asked about it post-trade where he was just like, oh, you know, I had a really good time in Phoenix over two years. We were a good team and I look forward, you know, just kind of brushed it all under the rug and said, you know, I'm looking forward to Milwaukee and that was it. Do I want to know all of the details of what happened? Yeah, I'm kind of curious, but I don't think it's that relevant anymore. I, I cared a lot more when he was still on the Suns and the Suns couldn't trade him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, now it's just, I don't really care anymore. Uh, Suns wins per or for the season. <laughs> and this was the one that was not set by me. It was 52.5. Uh, Max, you and I went under and they won 45. So we hit that. Sam, you and the listeners went over on that one. And on this, I'm going to pat myself on the back because this part I went back and listened to because I wanted to remember something. I said, I think there's a chance that 52 wins could be the one seed in the West this year. Hmm. And the Nuggets are the one seed with 53 wins. Very well done. And maybe the... Least intimidating one seed in the Western Conference of my life. Yeah, I mean, I think. fifty-three wins. I mean, you brought this up, Sam, at the time. 
53 wins is insane for a one seed and almost never happens, which I didn't know because yeah. I was just talking out of my ass. And <laughs> it turns out it is insane and it actually did happen this year. It, But yeah, it literally never happens. And they are, I'm pretty certain, the least intimidating one seed of your life. I can't yeah. think of another one off the top of my head. I mean, their net rating is like, you know, they've, they've got like a plus. They're sixth in the NBA in net rating, I think. They've got like a plus three average point differential. That's a good team, but that is not a one seed like, oh, this is a scary contender team. That's like a they have home court in the playoffs, but you expect them to get bounced in the second round type team in an average year, which is what makes this entire season such an, such an anomaly. So weird. Yeah, uh, speaking of legacy defining, two two MVPs and now the one seed and your full team is healthy. There's a lot riding on this postseason for Jokic, and you know, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know how it's going to go. They, I could see a world. And we're going to do our playoff preview later this week. I could see a world where they actually make it out of the West. I'm not saying the- it's completely impossible, but I just don't. I don't think that it's something that anyone should bet on. The Denver Nuggets. Net rating two years ago when they got, of course, Jamal Murray injury, whatever. But when they got swept by the Suns in the second round two years ago, plus five. They were plus wow. five. Hmm. Denver Nuggets net that's, rating this that's year. That's crazy. Plus 3.4. That is nuts. I did not expect that. That is that is crazy. That's that's actually very surprising. Uh, 45 wins for the Suns, though. Um, it's just none of this matters right (laughs) they have kevin durant now it's like it's hard to even look at team stats like there's so much of like what we normally would do what the normal conversations that may happen or the type of research that i would normally do at the end of the season you just throw that all out the window now because they made a massive trade and we've only seen that trade actually contribute to the team for eight games um but yeah any thoughts on 45 wins max I could not agree more that we just throw it out. I mean, we were injured the entire season. The, the entire conference was just a complete and utter joke this season, to be honest with it. Uh, yeah. I mean, the four best teams are, are seated, what, four, five, seven, and six, probably? <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. Probably, it's, yeah. it's, it's insane. And, you know, the 45 games, I mean, I, honestly, the only thing that it's worth talking about is how awesome your prediction was that, that would be the one seed, 53 or 52 wins. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a random guess. <laughs> It's amazing. But yeah, I didn't I I didn't anticipate the the amount of injuries. You know, I just well, I honestly thought that the conference was going to be really great and it was just going to cannibalize itself and that's what would have led to it. Instead, it was just sort of a mid conference the entire year and there was so much injuries, just so many weird things. And also weird things happening like Wiggins missing time, John Morant mm-hmm. missing time, like stuff like that. I I don't think anybody could have anticipated either. To that point with some of the other injuries in the conference, it doesn't just make it hard to to look at the Suns' overall season picture and try and draw anything from it. It also makes it difficult with some of these opponents we're going to play. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to get into the Clippers series mostly on our episode later this week. Although, Max, we can ask you what you think about this series before we, before we end here. <laughs> but uh, it, it's just like this is a team that we played four times this season. And in none of those four times 
was it the exact configurations of what these two teams currently are? Like, you, you can't go back and just say, okay, let's watch the film of the Clippers and hear the Kevin Durant sons and hear the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, fully healthy Clippers. It just doesn't exist. We haven't seen it. So what we're about to see in the first round is going to be completely new to, uh, to all of us. And it's going to require a lot of extrapolation and kind of guesswork. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy uh, playoffs to preview for us, but I'm still excited to do it. Um, and speaking of the playoffs, the last question we had is related to the playoffs, but we all answered the same, which is why I thought now would be a good time to do this podcast because the series wins over under, I put at 0.5. Will the Suns win a playoff series this year? We all said yes. Um, and I put it at one because I didn't want to get overly confident after that game seven trauma mm-hmm. that I went through. Um, and we all said yes that the Suns will win, so that evens out the scores. But it does give us an opportunity to end this one by talking about the playoffs. What are your thoughts, Max, about the matchup between the Suns and the Clippers in round one of the playoffs this year? Well, uh, the fact that I was screaming at my TV yesterday when we were flirting with winning that game, well, let me tell you something about how I feel about it. I mean, we got pretty lucky here. I mean, I, I don't want to run out the Clippers because I really, obviously, Kawhi is one of the few players in the league who can be the best player in a series that features Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Um, so you got to worry about him. Uh, Ty Lu, I have a lot of respect for him as a playoff coach after the Western Conference Finals from two years ago. I thought he was very good in that series. I think he'll he will definitely uh, scheme some things to throw us off a little bit, especially because we're very new. Obviously, Kevin Durant's only played eight games on this team, so you know we're still sort of figuring things out. That said, you know, assuming George either won't come back or won't ever be himself in the series, which seems very likely at this point. There's just not going to be enough on that team, I don't think. And I also think Westbrook's just going to be... I know he's played pretty well with the Clippers so far, much better than he was playing with the Lakers, but you know the playoffs are a different animal. We're, just, we're not going to guard him from three. We're going to just let him shoot as many times as he wants, and it's going to be an issue for them. I, I, you know, it, I think that I'm leaning towards maybe a six-game series, but one where we feel pretty safe the whole time. Like it's not, We don't feel like we're going to lose. It's just the Clippers are scra- scrappy. But overall, obviously, it's, it's a lot better than playing the Warriors. So I'll put it that way. Yep, I agree. We had a wild playback where we were watching that game, screaming and cheering for the Clippers the entire game. Uh, and <laughs> couldn't just help ourselves in that one. ecstatic every time Darius Baisley touched the ball on offense because we knew that. <laughs> other than I will give I will give Bays some credit. I mean, look, he you know human you got pogo the stick, pogo stick. Absolutely, he's he's an athletic player on a team that has frustratingly not had a lot of like uber athletic players recently. Uh, basically in the entire Monty Williams, James Jones era. So it's just fun to have a guy who has highlight dunks like that sometimes. That being said, is mostly a walking disaster every time he touches the ball, like at the elbow and has to initiate (laughs) offense. So we were just like, yeah, just play. Like you were saying, Mike, there was a reason that Jock Landale did not close that game and Darius Baisley did. Monty knew what he was doing. He knew that it was going to be a, a clutch performance from him as well. Coaching that setback three with like a minute 20 left from Baisley. Oh, that Incredible. Was My favorite Incredible. shot of the year, I think. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most important shots of the year. <laughs> yeah, at the same at the same time, uh, the Warriors were scoring 55 points oh, in God. the first quarter uh, of, of a game. And it was like a reminder of why they needed to lose the game. Uh, and an, an important reminder. And I think they, they came through in the clutch and actually lost. Uh, that one, yes. Yeah. So Sam and I, later this week, probably Thursday morning is when we're going to release it, I, I have a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll do a playoff preview main feed. Everyone will have access to that one. Looking forward to doing that one. But the final tally, the final tally for these over-unders, out of 15 questions, 
Max, you got six right. Sam, you got six right. The listeners got seven right. And I, as the person who does the most research and kind of cheats every year, got eight right. <laughs> so don't sell uh, don't sell yourself hard. short. It's not like you win every year, so you know you can you yeah, can take this, this one. It's a good win. Everyone's Especially won once. Again, with the 52, uh, 52 game prediction, I mean, come on, that's that's worth it by itself. Yeah, <laughs> that one. I wish I would have found a way to bet on that one. Uh, <laughs> that's the only one that would have actually made us money. Um, all of these are irrelevant. The postseason will now begin, but I was looking forward to. It's hard with the postseason to actually like. Last year was a weird one where um, the Suns won sixty four games, and then and it was the best season they ever had in the regular season. Then the game seven loss happened. Then we had you on max. And it was just such a weird time to look back on how fun the season was. Nobody was ready to do it. (laughs) So this year I was like, we got to do it before the playoffs because we have to appreciate the weird season that we just had and at least talk about it before the postseason begins. It's a whole new season. As everyone says, the postseason is completely different, but thank you so much max for joining us i i know you don't really do a lot of stuff publicly but do you have anything that you want to tell the people about before we end this one uh thanks so much for having me uh no i just follow my ex podcast partner uh, current friend david nash on twitter the four point play he still provides awesome uh breakdowns and such even though we don't pod that much anymore but yeah that's a bit it for me uh, it was fun guys thank you appreciate you max and yes we'll be back soon Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal.